Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Well, good morning again and welcome. We continue this series together on the vices and virtues. And a little bit of housekeeping here. There's a few weeks left. We're only going to get to six of the seven. I know. So what we'll do instead is one of those vices will be uh, augmented via our podcast channel. So you want to pay attention to that. And part of why we're doing that is I want to let you know on February 19th, we are welcoming Reverend Rochelle Gunter to come share with us as we celebrate Black History Month. She is a minister at St. Paul's Baptist Church, so we will celebrate uh, Black History Month together and continue to build our partnership with that church here in town, and we are grateful for that. And you may be thinking today, well, if you were going to not preach on one of these vices, could you have picked greed? (laughs) Could you maybe have picked this one? Unfortunately, no. Today, we're going to talk about greed and its corresponding virtue, generosity. And I think that for all of us, if, if we were honest, at the end of our lives, we would like to be able to say, or maybe we would hope that others would say about us, that they were generous people. Right? Don't all of us desire to be described as generous? One writer says, people are not naturally disposed to giving, yet the life we all prize, filled with joy and spiritual depth, is closely tied to living generously and with thankful hearts. So today, I hope that we can look at generosity, see how we can put it on, how we can take off the practices of greed, and how we can walk in the ways of Christ. So as we begin, I want to go back to that Colossians passage that we've been looking at throughout this series. I'll read 1 Colossians 3, verse 5, and then 9. And 10. Paul says uh, to these Christians, put to death, therefore, remove the source of life from, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul takes a moment here to say greed, by the way, that which is idolatry. We'll unpack that more as we go. And then verse 9, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. So we've been talking about these vices, practices that we are removing, taking off, stripping ourselves from, and these virtues that we then Put on, both of which respond to desires within us. And so we've got uh, our chart here of the vices and the virtues. We'll come up on the screen in a second. Uh, we know that our vice this week is greed. The virtue is generosity. And where does that come from? Within each of us, a desire for security and freedom, a good desire that God gave us that we might be safe, that we might be free. 
But greed creeps in when we think the only way that we can achieve that freedom and that safety is to take and to hoard and to build our own little empires for ourselves. There's this idea in psychology, uh, this hierarchy of needs. And the idea is that you can't move towards these kind of high-minded goals, right? The most that one can be of esteem until some of these lower needs are met. And you can see here, towards the bottom, those safety needs of resources, security, health, property, those needs, they, they often stand in the way of us getting to these other needs. It's why we're so committed to work of justice and things like that in our world because we need to be helping meet some of these more basic needs so then we can help people then reach some of these other needs. But greed emerges with one of these more basic needs, security and freedom. I said uh, to our kids that I like to collect things. It's true. I've always been a collector. And, and, and I know what it's like sometimes when I, I'm overwhelmed or stressed or tired to say, well, maybe I'll just go to the store and buy that thing that I wanted, right? That somehow that might soothe this stress within me. When I was a kid, I was very into collecting Star Wars toys and baseball cards. And in my childhood, there was a lot of scarcity. We didn't have much, and yet... My family always seemed to make a little bit of margin so that I could pursue those baseball cards and those Star Wars toys. In fact, I like this picture of myself uh, with my bowl cut, as was common at the time. I laid out my Star Wars action figures and posed next to them, kind of like a dragon laying on its pile of gold, right? <laughs> Kids do this all the time. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of good labor. But see, the problem is greed is a vice because when we think that, that by acquiring more things, more finances, even more power, we are then making ourselves secure, that we are the ones who can provide ourselves security and freedom. When as Christians we know, that comes from God. I can tell by your face that the picture is still up there, so we should... <laughs> Remove along. <laughs> uh, I love this quote from Rebecca DeYoung who wrote the book Glittering Vices. She says, trust in wealth for happiness and security undercuts our trust in God. Greed express, expresses the do-it-yourself method of finding happiness instead of the contentedness of receiving the good things that God gives us and gratefully depending on God for his provision. Material wealth gives an illusion that we are self sufficient and therefore it serves as a powerful incentive to deny our need for God that is greed that we might deny our need for God because of all the things we can do for ourselves that we might act in a way where we hold on to things and power in a way that harms others and doesn't actually get us the life we desire this is illustrated uh, by this 10th century leader in Spain. I love this quote. Uh, on his 70th birthday, he wrote this note. I've now reigned for 50 years. 
in victory and peace. I'm beloved by my subjects. I'm dreaded by my enemies. I'm respected by my allies. I have riches and honors, power and pleasure. They all waited on my call. And I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen on my lot. They amount to 14. (laughs) 14 days. So how, if greed will never get us the life that we desire, how do we put on the habits of generosity? Well, Jesus has a lot to say about this. In fact, 17 of his 38 parables have to do with possessions. Can you imagine if I preached about giving 44% of the time? You guys would leave. (laughs) But Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus understood that this was important, that it shapes us the way we think about things. What we can amass, our own security and freedom, it's vital to our faith. How much of our stress and our fears and our challenges, our questions, our uncertainty come from our relationship to stuff, to money? Remember that need for security? It's within all of us. The theologian N.T. Wright says this about what Jesus has to say about generosity. The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. How many communities do you know where these guidelines are the rule of life? What's gone wrong? Has God changed? Or have we forgotten who God really is? So we turn to Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his followers and he's declaring to them what living like Jesus' people might look like. And Jesus has begun in chapter 6 telling his followers not to make a big deal, a big show about giving, not trying to draw attention to that. He's saying give without seeking affirmation. The assumption here that Jesus is making is that his followers are are giving. And then we get to 6.19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust consume, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money, treasure, power, these other things that we can grab greedily, they they don't last, Jesus reminds us. Even small things like a moth can bring these things down. You know it, a, a market crash, inflation, a sudden injury, how quickly our riches can be gone. So Jesus says invest in heavenly things. Okay, but what, what does that mean? Well, well, in other places, Jesus teaches, uh, like in, in Matthew 23, he says the weighty matters are justice and mercy and, and faith that we invest in prayer and serving others and serving the poor. That investing in these things will lead to transformation in our lives and lead us to the lives that we desire to be remembered as generous. Jesus says this powerful statement, where your treasure is your heart, will be also. Jesus understands that what we treasure shapes us. What do we want to be shaped by? What is shaping us right now? As we think about the things we want to hold on to, 
this greed response can bubble up to say, well, no, I've earned everything and it's all mine and you can't have any. Or maybe we have these past experiences of scarcity and it makes us so scared to let anything go. But the good news of Jesus is that there is no limit on what God has for us. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas says it like this, abundance, not scarcity, is the mark of God's care for creation. But our desire to live without fear cannot help but create a world of fear constituted by the assumption that there is never enough. So such a world cannot help but be a world of injustice and violence because it is assumed that under conditions of scarcity, our only chance for survival is to have more. This fear of scarcity robs us from true security and freedom. It makes us people who take and hold and turn away from those who are hurting. Leads to a world of injustice and violence because people want to hold on to what do they have to the extent that they will become violent. We saw on news this week Violence. Continue in Matthew 6. There's a jump here that happens in verse 22. In your Bibles, perhaps it has a little heading under it. I've, I've always found this to be strange. Like Jesus is changing the subject. In, in, in my preaching classes, I, I learned that you're not supposed to do that. But it seems like maybe that's what Jesus is doing. But, but I actually don't think so. Let's read verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Wait, Jesus, weren't you just talking... <laughs> about treasures in heaven, what does this have to do with anything? Well, scholars will tell us that this eye illustration was familiar at this time. It was often used in ancient Jewish thought. There's a metaphor here that a healthy eye would be thought of as a focused eye. And that idea of, of having a healthy eye would be a, the same kind of metaphor they might use for someone who was generous. They would be focused on doing what God has called them to, free to live generously. In fact, in, in ancient Jewish teaching, an evil eye was an expression for one who withholds, who is selfish, it is greed. These were common expressions at the time. Jesus isn't changing the subject at all. But reminding us to stay focused on the things above. That focusing on what God does for us and what God is calling us to do in the world is the antidote to greed. It continues in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve, other translations might say, God and mammon. 
Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying if money, if power, if the things we want to hold on to are our master, God cannot be. They have competing interests. Jesus says you can't serve God and wealth or mammon like some translations say. It's this idea that we can treat possessions and things and security and power like a God. And the God money says you must have more and more and more. You must hurt whatever, whoever, do whatever it takes. The God money says everything you have is yours because you earned it and you shouldn't give anything away ever. God says be generous. For I am generous. The God who would give God's own life in our breath and also in the body of Christ has shown us what generosity is. And God says, put no gods before me. This is how Paul can say to the Colossians, take off greed, it is idolatry. Okay, so what does this look like in the world? I want to illustrate this with another passage of Scripture. There, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8, and it's a fascinating passage. He's writing to this church in Corinth who had a lot of resources. They were economically diverse, and some of their worshipers had serious money, and, and that had become a problem in the way that they were using those resources. In fact, the people with, with more often were doing things that took advantage of the people with less or left out the people with less. And so Paul writes to this church and tells them a story about the church in Macedonia. And the church in Macedonia, this is a community that was like a rival community. So we're talking about like, like if Paul is writing to Eagles fans to tell them about the behavior of Giants fans, right? They, they're getting stressed when he brings up the Macedonian church. And the Macedonian church did not have the economic resources of the Corinthian church. They were actually were operating from pretty extreme poverty. And here's what uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the church of Macedonia. The Giants fans, right. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. This church, despite their hardships, were so radically shaped by Jesus that they become this model of generosity that Paul tells others about. They've put on this virtue of generosity regardless of their circumstances, and it has given them this sense of freedom and security that they would have never found anywhere else. Certainly the church in Corinth didn't have. Generosity is this spiritual discipline and value that confronts the extreme consumerism and tribalism of our time. 
It shifts our focus on what we can do for ourselves and helps us be single focused on what God has done for us and what we can do for others on God's behalf. Just this week at our annual meeting, one of our church members shared a story about a board member from the Westchester Food Cupboard. She told us uh, about what he had heard about our community, that when she mentioned our church, his eyes lit up and he said how impressed he was with our church, how you generously continued to give. And our meal program here on Saturdays and Sundays, even when other things were shutting down, you found ways to continue to feed people even when others gave up. How through Donna, our administrative assistant, we, we continue to manage food deliveries. How our blessing box out front continues to serve people with needs that we don't even know about. Church, I'm proud of you. This generosity is a testimony to our community. But let us not stop there. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 8. This is 7. Now as you excel in everything. He's really good at this kind of thing, Paul. He's going to compliment them a lot here. You're so good at faith and speech and knowledge and eagerness. And our love for you. You just excel in all those things. Now we want you to excel in this generous undertaking. Excel in generosity too. He has found their weak point and invites them to step it up. It is this act of putting on generosity that will shape them to become who they want to be. And what would happen if the people of God really lived with generosity? Back in 2016, Relevant Magazine published an article imagining what would happen if Christians all gave away 10% of their income. Now, 10% is a beautiful goal. It's a goal we set here as well. There are lots of circumstances and challenges that, that, that may not make it possible for everyone, but it is a beautiful goal. But today, the average American Christian gives 2.5% of their income away. And you can say there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, housing costs and inflation and wage stagnation and income inequality and all of that is very, very fair. Um, but I will point out that during the Great Depression, it's called the Great Depression, the average American Christian gave away 3.3% of their income. So could it be that we've been swayed sometimes by the God of money? What I loved about this article is it imagined what happened if Christians across the world gave away 10%. It said there would be an additional $165 billion to be used in the world. I don't even know what to do with that number. Luckily, the article broke it down. It said $25 billion would be what they estimate it might take to relieve global hunger, starvation, and death from preventable illnesses in five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion solve the world's water sanitation issues in places where one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. One billion could fund overseas missions work, and uh, there'd still be like $100 billion left. <laughs> See, generosity is a way that we can respond to a generous God. And when we do it, we're equipping others to serve. And all of us together are transformed to not believe that our security and our freedom is tied up in what we can control, but 
but in the God who provides. And so I want to leave you with this last question that comes from Rebecca DeYoung. She said, if I keep handling my possessions like this for the next 10 or 20 years, what sort of character will I develop? And what kind of person will I become? It's a question for us to take. If we handle our possessions like we have been right now for the next 10 or 20 years, what sort of character will I develop? What kind of person will I become? One writer says the church has an opportunity to show the generosity of God to a world that only knows the cynicism of giving and receiving on account of the cruel weight of money that can reduce people to dollar cents and pawns. What could the church do if we were transformed by generosity? And so, practically, the great spiritual thinker Richard Foster gives us some tips for how we might resist greed, take off greed, and put on generosity. And, and I want to share these with you. Foster says we should buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Some of these will, will hurt you. They hurt me too. It's okay. Reject anything that is producing addiction in you. Develop a habit of giving things away. We've got some more. Refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. Do you really need the latest model? Do you? Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Get your library card. Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Look with a healthy skepticism at all buy now, pay later schemes. That's good stuff. Obey Jesus' instructions about plain, honest speech. You don't have anything to hide. Stop lying to yourselves, Paul says. Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. And shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your power and your might. I thank you that security and freedom are found in you, and you provide. And God, you call all of us to care for ourselves and our families and our communities and our world. May we do so in a way that reflects your love and your goodness. May we do so in the spirit of generosity. And may our community around us like that board member at the food cupboard, may their eyes brighten the work you are doing. Say these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.